Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 105th episode of MGG Fast Finance. It puts the cast that puts the arse in Commander's Arsenal. MGG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on magic singles and sealed product, with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out face-to-face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MGG Critic on Twitter. My co-host tonight, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin'. And we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey, James. How's it going? Very good, brother. And how's, how's the crypto world treating you? Mm, probably about the same as it is you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Uh, we've got a bit of a rebound today, though. It's up almost two grand since it's bottom today. Yeah, there's like it was like a 20 or 40% uh, gain uh, against like a minus 2% on the Dow. I placed a $20 bet on Twitter this afternoon with one of our listeners um, about whether or not uh, the I think it was the it was either the Dow or the S and P five hundred and was going to do better than Bitcoin uh, by mid December of this year. <laughs> uh, I, I bet I feel pretty confident about. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, does your bet does it have to be that price come December, or is it just the highest each one manages to hit before uh, that date? No, no, highest percentage on that date. On that day, so if it, if it jumps five hundred percent and then drops five hundred percent in the middle, then I then I lose. I guess. Okay. I, I, assuming that the the markets don't implode, because in truth, equities are not looking much better than crypto this week. No, nothing's looking good at the moment. All right, let's get the show done. Show on the road here. Uh, our show with this week is in three parts. Segment one, our top movers. We're going to talk about all the cards that moved in price this week, and there are a bunch of them. Segment two is our cards to watch. James and I will outline some of the cards that we think could rise in price. And segment three is going is our is our metagame we can review bleeding into our topic of the week. We're going to talk about the modern Pro Tour. Pro Tour's rival is the Vixalon. We've got a couple odds and ends from that from that event to cover uh, and talk about all sorts of cool decks and cards and, and that hit some other notes as well. So let's jump in uh, on segment one, our top movers. Our first card this week is Black Cleave Cliffs, Black Cleave Cliffs from uh, Scars of Mirrodin. The non-foil copies jumped from $20 to $40. That's right. Black Cleave Cliffs was $20. I remember when this was the worst fast land. This is on the back of the hollow one deck that performed quite admirably at the pro tour. Um, I don't, I doubt that Saffron was the one who made the deck, but he made the deck a little more popular, playing it on, uh, over on his website prior to the Pro Tour. And then the deck actually did quite well at the Pro Tour. So we've got several cards from that deck this week popping up on our top movers list. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about this in more detail, but the the Japanese players that were hype on this deck uh, really knocked it out of the park. One of the only um, end runs around the metagame that was seen this weekend. Yeah, it was cool. It's a cool deck too. It's uh, fun to see it. Fun to see it do well. It's all, these types of decks are always kind of my pet projects, and it's like, oh, one of these actually worked. All right, so moving right along, we've got a whole bunch of other stuff on the list this week. It's a 
busy, busy week for movement. Were of Invention Foils were uh, another important card at the Pro Tour this weekend, uh, this time as a three or four of in Lantern Control builds, uh, Lantern Control being the deck that took down the tournament. Um, so the foils, no big surprise, that uh, have moved from $7 to $14. Um, always encouraging um, in this era of kind of dubious finance um, opportunities to see uh, modern playable cards that are only really good in one deck, see the foils explode um, relatively soon after they were first published. Yeah, this was is pretty surprising to see this move so much. I mean, as, given how new it is, I have to imagine this price is going to retract pretty hard. Uh, Lantern Control is just not a strategy that most players are going to be rushing to pick up, um, partly because it's it's a difficult deck to play, and even if you are good at it, you have to be you have to be the type of person to enjoy playing that. That's not a deck that most people are going to have fun with, and a lot of people are going to live with the fear of it getting banned, which I don't think it will be but that will definitely scare people off. So if you can get $14, $15 for foils here, I'd be happy to get rid of them. I mean, the ideal situation if you're playing this deck locally is that it it occasionally do- top eights tournaments and occasionally wins one, but never really dominates to the point where they feel the need to ban it. And then if you're a shark that plays it well, you can like wreck your local metagame over and over again until they all quit the format. Yeah. Well, and the real crummy thing, you know, that's that works to an extent. But if you're playing like Jund at your local store, people can try and sideboard all they want, but you can't sideboard Jund, right? Like you, be, you can't really get away with that. That's what makes the deck good. But Lantern Control can get destroyed by sideboard cards if that's what you want to show up with. So uh, if you train everyone at your local store to respect Lantern Control, the deck becomes unplayable. Yeah, d- definitely one of the things people need to keep in mind if they're even remotely considering that this thing is going to get banned is all the plethora of white sideboard options that can wreck artifact-heavy decks if it occupies such a uh, large percentage of the meta that that shift is required. One of the things that allows Lantern to do well in a meta like this that's so diverse is that there just aren't that many sideboard spots spots devoted to it. It used to catch incidental hate when Affinity was the deck kind of like the second best deck during Eldrazi Winter. It was like one of the only previous archetypes that could go toe-to-toe with Eldrazi and have a chance. And and that injured Lantern until Affinity kind of fell back a little bit in the meta. And now that it's, you know, Affinity is one of these decks that you know, there's always going to be somebody at the tournament carrying it, but it's never going to be some huge percentage of the meta. Um, you know, the incidental sideboard hate against artifacts is going to be a little bit more hit or miss. Uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> my boring you pardon me yes <laughs> <laughs> um, all right so now uh second chance from urza's legacy oh shoot second chance that card i didn't even notice that second chance is the uh three mounted time walk effect from urza's legacy um if you have five or less life you sack it and take an extra turn foil prices from about 35 to 70 for a double up uh, I would love to see the non-foils on this move since I've got like 60 of them that I bought for, I think, you know, 25 cents each or something like that. But the foils have moved a good bit as well. Um, but again, this is a reserve list card, so I don't think there's anything that's actually using this. It's just a reserve list card. Yeah, continuously targeted. And I, I, I'm get willing to bet that market price is not 70. Market price is probably what it used to be, 35 or whatever. Um, uh, yep. Yeah. So <laughs> this is 70 when somebody sells one for 70. Right, right, right. 
All right, so moving right along, uh, we had two versions of Chainer's Edict show up on the list this week. We have the original from Torment, which was originally uncommon, but apparently Chainer's Edict, despite only ever being uncommon in paper, um, was printed as a uh, common on Magic Online and Vintage Masters. Um, and so it's legal and pauper, hence explaining why it, this uh, original version went from $6 to 13 which is about 116% gain or something. And the... Uh, the other version was from, wasn't the FNM promo I was looking at, was it? Uh, let's see. We had both the FTV 21 jumped from seven to like 19 and the torment non foils jumped from six to 13, I think. Oh no, no. The, the one that I, there was an issue with our spreadsheet here. It was the, from the vault 20 version that went uh, from seven to $20 for about 175% gain. There were, well, there were two, two of them showed up on the list this week because there was a, the torment one moved too. Yeah. So the torment one was the one from, from six to 13, uh, for a $7 gain and the, from the vault twenties, which I happen to have a whole bunch of lying around because I popped FTV twenties that I bought, uh, which turned out to be a relatively poor short term decision in terms of not being able to flip them, pop them and sold Jace the Mind Sculptor when I was certain he was going to get reprinted and uh, and thankfully got in under the wire on that one. And now the Chainer's Edicts are a spare $20 bill out of those sets, which is nice because I've been selling through the Findhorn Elves from that set as well. So FTV 20 is actually making a little bit of a comeback. Mm hmm. Yeah, I've got two of them. So here's hoping. Uh, next up on our list is Thalia's Lieutenant from Shadows Over Innistrad. The foils from $4 to 9 or so. Also, uh, this one, the other breakout deck of Pro Tour Rivals of Ixalan Humans. Uh, you know, you, we, I feel like this show over the last six or eight months has been sort of an encapsulation of that deck through the metagame. I remember the first time it to showed up at a star scene we're like we don't know if this is real it's kind of interesting if it is but we you know we you have to be cautious and then it just keep plugging away and then ended up being the most popular deck at the pro tour um so definitely here to stay uh so nine bucks for foil salios lieutenants this is an soi card so again i you know whenever you have a spike like this i would take the money if you can get it uh, i do see this receding but, you know, it'll probably hang out a, maybe a little over five, five to the six-ish. So it'll, it'll be more than the $4 that you paid to get in. But this is definitely a high point. Yeah, this is one of those cards where I'm a little worried it could show up in M25. Because I'm pretty sure they said over the weekend that M25 was going to include cards from every set, which might go up to SOI block, I'm assuming. Um, and if it does, this is the kind of card they might slide in there as a, an easy rare that would drop to a dollar or two and not chew up too much EV. Um, and then, of course, the foils would be plentiful. Although, given the the recent printing practices, I think that original foils are probably going to be in higher demand just because the foils from these like wonky print sets are a little wobbly, um, and, which may have some impact on on who wants what at what point in the market. Um, still, I've got a pile of Thalia's Lieutenant foils. I'm hoping that it's A, not included at M25, and B, I get to sell through the 20 or so I've got sitting around, um, hopefully in the $10 to $15 range. Good luck. I mean, Five Color Humans, as you said, was the the most played deck, but that was only 9% of the field. So it really was a wide open field. Um, and it was something like 16 decks that were between 2% and 9%. And then there was a whole bunch of additional decks that were below 2%. Um, conversion rate for humans was about 67% versus I think they said it was something like, um, I think it's mid 50s in terms of like what the cutoff is for um, pros that make it from day one to day two. And so 
it was right about in the middle of the pack, not the best performing deck, not the worst. And it did put a copy in the top eight that had a solid shot at, at the title. Um, so the deck has, has definitely posted up as tier one status, um, as a, as a creature based deck. If the format was less diverse, again, this is the kind of deck you can sideboard easily against. Um, but in a, in a format where you've got to prepare for everybody, you can only give it so many slots, which really lets it, uh, work that aggro control angle, um, that marks it as one of the best tribal strategies we've seen in this format. Yeah. And, and it, interestingly enough, it seems to have basically taken over the Merfolk Aether Vial deck slot in the format for the time being. And that, and it bodes well for this long term as well, because humans is a much more supported tribe than Merfolk, which means you get new tools every set. Um, and some of those are, you know, you're not every single one of them, but you know, you're always going to get a human or two who has some interesting looking abilities. Um, you know, you look at the human stock right now and you've got humans that span from dark confidant back in Ravnica to, uh, that new pirate whose name escapes me, uh, which was in rivals of Ixalan. So, um, you know, you can get new tools, whereas Merfolk probably isn't going to get that too much. So I think this is probably the premier Aetherwild deck in modern right now. Some of the South American players that were running the deck were actually playing Collected Company in it, which most people that we'd talked to previously had said was ridiculous. Like, you didn't want to slow down and play the Collected Company mid-range game. Um, but uh, apparently it's tech in the mirror. Um, so mm. Collected Companies, um, you know is a card that still has multiple that mid-range decks in the format that can make use of it, which uh, bodes well for it up until we see a reprint. I want to see a mono green five color Aether Vial collected company human stack that runs four Magus of the Moon. It's going to be <laughs> good. And then they're, then they're going to print Magus of the Sun, which replicates Blood Sun, and it's going to be, it's going to be an awesome deck. Um, <laughs> Next up is Rapacious One from Rise of Eldrazi. Uh, foils, a dollar to two forty. Uh, this is a popper card. At least I'm pretty sure it's a popper card. I'd be shocked if it's not, because who else is playing this card? Um, also a dollar to two fifty. Good luck having made any money on this. Uh, I don't know where else to go from there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> moving right along. Yeah. Hollow One uh, was one of the big breakout decks, as we said earlier. This was the deck that uh, several Japanese players brought to the table that made uh, uh, top eight at the Pro Tour in the hand, hands of Ken Yukihiro, um, a notable deck builder from Japan. Um, this deck runs four Bloodgast, four Flame Blade Adept, four Flame Wake Phoenix, three Gurmag Angler, four Hollow One, four Street Wraith, and the Tasker, the Golden Fang, along extremely random card uh, filtering tools in Burning Inquiry and uh, Faithless Looting and Goblin Lore. Goblin Lore has, uh, is also on this list a little further down, um, having moved from the 10th edition foils, moved from $20 to $80 on the back of this Hollow One action. This is a sorcery for one and a red that was last seen in 10th uh, edition that lets you draw four cards and then discard three cards at random. Uh, the the nugget here is that the Hollow One deck doesn't really care about drawing card discarding cards at random because it needs to discard the cards anyway so they can get the Hollow One into play for free. And um, once it has its four power creature in play for free, uh, the Flame Wake Phoenixes can pop out of the graveyard. Um, it also potentially all that stuff in the graveyard lets them cast uh, uh, Tassiger and Gurmag Anglers for really cheap and makes their Flame Blade Adepts. Uh, much bigger it can be like a four two or a five two uh for one red and of course pops the blood gas back out of the graveyard so one of these decks it's can be very inconsistent can have some very awkward draws but 
you know, in the semifinals at the Pro Tour, <laughs> we saw Yukihiro put two hollow ones into play on turn one. So that was eight power on turn one in modern, um, which I think will probably get enough people excited that we'll see some continued movement on hollow one foils. That's pretty nuts. Eight power on turn one. Still, still slower than I think Storm can still beat you, right? Like eight power on turn one. It's, it's technically a turn three kill. Which Storm mm-hmm. can do, Ad Nauseam can do, and it's harder to do. So pretty safe. Um, anyways, uh, let's see. Next up, Phantasmal Image from Modern Masters 3. The non-foils, $3 to $8. Uh, I'm sure the M, whatever, 13 or 14 version nudged a couple dollars as well. Uh, Phantasmal Image is a cornerstone of the human stack. It gives you more of whatever your best human is at the moment. Um, a little surprised to see this in the strategy just because you'd kind of think they wouldn't be hurting for other human slots. Um, but then again, I suppose Phantasmal Image has the upside of being able to get some get real clever against your opponent's creature. So you can copy Tarmogoyfs if that's an issue. You can, you know, whatever your opponent's playing, you can copy. Um, so it's got some additional value there as I mean, well. It, it- it always gives you more of whatever the best human is that your opponent can't deal with at the time, right? So if yeah. you're looking, if you need to knock more cards with their hand or you're looking to get another Kessig Malcontents on the table or whatever it is that you need to do at that particular moment to get advance your game plan, it's giving you that flexibility. Um, and certainly being able to play with eight copies of something instead of four is going to be a big deal if you've already got one in play to set off the chain. Sure, sure. Uh, next up, Skyline Despot from Conspiracy Take the Crown. That's the second Conspiracy foil, seven to twenty. But I am seeing the market price still at seven. Uh, I had to look this up. This is uh the big red dragon from Conspiracy Two. Um, makes you a monarch, and you get dragons if you're the monarch. Uh, but this deck is only in two thousand EDH decks, which is like not nothing, but it's not enough to really for me to take notice at the moment. Um. I, I, I didn't even remember this card before I read this, which makes me seem like this is just a strict buyout. Cause I, I don't, it's not like it's in no, a bunch. I, what? Well, I mean, keep, yeah, yeah. I mean, keep, keep in mind that yes, the, the mod, the demand is relatively modest, but it still has some dragon casual demand, but more to the point conspiracy, take the crown, as we've talked about a few times in the past, like a foil mythic from that set might be some of the rarest foil mythics in recent memory because it was only on the market for a very short period of time in between a summer set and a fall set. And it wasn't a very popular format the second time around. And those boxes are, have been on our list before as, as having so much value in them because so few of them have been opened, but there's far more boxes unopened than opened. I would guess of, of conspiracy take the crown. And, and that has led to some of the harder to find cards from the set, just being extremely scarce despite their relative youth. Sure. And I think that $20 is not even necessarily an unfair price for this card. It just seems like this is pushing it there very fast. You know, it's th- one of the, it, it, go ahead. I was saying it just, it, this this bio seems to have gotten it there a lot quicker than I would have expected it to, um, even if it might have gotten there on its own eventually. Yeah, Jason and other EDH watchers have you know called this card out on numerous occasions. Um, the The reality is that there's like almost no supply at at this point. Like nobody's popping those boxes except every once in a while I get a hankering and pop one out of the closet. The and and the set. If this thing gets reprinted, 
these foils tank immediately, right? Like, oh, yeah. because demand demand is 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 modest. Um, but so long as supplies there, if you've got one or two of them lying around, then you probably make a little money off them. This isn't the kind of card as we you know we've talked about with other cards in the past that you want to have twenty or thirty or forty or fifty of because there's just no demand. You're not going to be able to out them at faster than say one copy a month. So you don't want to get caught holding a whole bunch when they inevitably gets reprinted. Uh, Jason may have talked about these. I wouldn't know. I don't listen to him. (laughs) Uh, All right. Why don't you give us the next one then? All right. So we've also got Ebony Horse from uh, Arabian Nights. This is just a random card that's not even on the reserve list. People have been targeting the non-reserve list parts of these first few sets from Magic's History. Um, on the assumption that if anybody wants them, they're not going to be able to find any if if they're hoarding them. And this process has been ongoing for the better part of 18 months, and some would say more like 10 years. So Ebony Horse is now apparently an $18 card. That's silly. Um, I don't think you're going to be able to sell them <laughs> at $18. But again, this is, this is one of these situations where if you had a single set of Arabian Nights that you collected over the years... Um, you just kick back and watch that go up. And eventually maybe you sell it as a whole thing on eBay or on a Facebook forum or something. Um, but I wouldn't be running out trying to buy 30 copies of Ebony Horse. No, you should, you should definitely buy them. and But just don't look at them because you don't want to look a <laughs> gift horse. Okay. <laughs> Teamer Sabertooth no, from Faber Forge. Foils 250 to 8. Uh, EDH, I guess. I mean, it's not yeah, it's not yeah. proper. It is a cool card. Like it sets up combos. Um, so EDH is the best thing that we've got. I think what it was, it's, we've got 4,000 decks. It's not bad. If you're playing this card in EDH, you're a bad person. Like just actually, well, no, you return it to, to its owner's hand. No, never mind. It's not yeah. quite as bad that it's definitely still a combo card, but it's not quite as despicable as uh Jedi navigator. I mean, th- this is not a broken card in EDH, but this is a really, a totally solid utility card being able to, there's a lot of green creatures that, and multicolored creatures that happen to be green in part that like to come in and out of play um, and do nasty things. And there are a bunch of green enchantments that benefit from the entry and exit of creatures from play. And I think Sabretooth plays into a lot of those strategies. I like these kind of cards. These are, these are open-ended utility cards that aren't going to be, they're not going to be in a huge rush to reprint anytime soon. And um, because it, it mentions teamer specific, specifically you're not going to see it show up in a standard set because we're not going back to tarkir anytime soon i've changed i've changed Um, my mind you are a bad person if you play this card because the (laughs) only way you ever play this card is as part of a combo like this i don't think this is enough of a utility card for people to run it there's better utility cards in almost every deck so you're only running this if you're like want to make infinite mana with palancron so don't be that guy (laughs) don't be that guy but but uh, okay, I don't know. How does it work with Palancron? Isn't it green creatures only? Uh, which one? Timur Sabretooth? Yeah. Is that... I mean, I didn't actually read the card, but... <laughs> just, Have you been drinking? I just had it up. No, it's just return a creature. It's green mana, but with Palancron, he just untaps your green mana sources. So Palancron is infinite mana. Oh, but it's you may return another creature to its owner's hand. So you can mess with your opponents too. This is no, totally no, solid. creature you control to its owner's hand. Oh, okay. So, but it gets an indestructible. You know, Timur Sabertooth does, but like, who cares? <laughs> You're only using this to mouse <laughs> well, like Palancron. Well, yeah, but that works against like Supreme Verdicts and stuff that come out up every four turns in EDH. 
Yeah, but no, nobody is playing this because like, oh, I'm going to get the guys running Supreme Verdict by upheavaling my board and having a 4-3 left over. Like, especially when half of the rats tuck your creatures anyways. Now, this is for Palancron guy. Palancron guy's a jerk. <laughs> well, I'm going to call that into question because if you look at the commanders that are running it, it starts with Yisan the Wanderer Bard, which clearly doesn't run Palancron. Animar Soul of Elements doesn't generally run Palancron. What? I guess it it could. It is the best. It's the best one because it because it makes Palancron free. It makes Palancron cost two mana. Animar makes Palancron go yeah. infinite on its own. It, it, it's not in in either the super top signature cards or top cards for that for that commander. Uh, that's definitely people playing the deck wrong. Palancron is a hundred percent supposed to be <laughs> in Animar. Now we're gonna have to have Jason on the cast just so we can argue with you about EDH. Uh-huh. Um, Selvala Heart of the Wilds runs it, Arobo, Arobo Roar of the World, and I guess Maelstrom Wanderer. Listen, these foils are only uncommons. If it ever does get reprinted, they crater. So if you've got some lying around and you're not using them in your EDH deck, by all means, trade them. Uh, and moving right along. Oh, yeah. Next up is uh, Thorn of the Black Rose from Conspiracy. Uh, Conspiracy 2 again. Somebody's going after this set. Uh, this is a popper card, though. Four mana, one, three. That touch when it enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. Four dollars to 18. Uh, yeah, keep dreaming. Um, although four dollar foils, that's how much they were before. There's a seven dollar, this is seven dollar market price on this foil. Who's playing this card? What? Popper is a weird format. Just having death touch and a big ass is is worthwhile yeah. and becoming the monarch i guess is occasionally it's useful. only in 386 edh decks so it's definitely popper for just the moment i thought that it wasn't popper but you, you know that somebody's just been going like multiple people have just been going through the popper list and buying everything they can get their hands on right like that's just clearly what's yeah, going but on. the market so, on this is seven dollars somebody paid seven dollars for the foils yep well, again, that's from a, a set that I'm telling you. The foils are just not in plentiful supply because nobody opened the set. Mm. Oh, man, it's $8 right. over, it's like $9 in Europe. Ah! Ah! <laughs> See, can't get it. So Phyrexian Plague Lord foils from Urza's Legacy um, from $4 to $24 because somebody decided to go after OG foils that uh, could, in theory, be reprinted. It'd be pretty funny for them if Urza's Legacy, if Phyrexian Plague Lord shows up on Dominaria. Um, you know, sooner or later, we're going to get Phyrexians again, and this card could easily be reprinted. It is not on the reserve list. Yeah, it was in the Commander Anthology just recently, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be the old border, but even still, that was some good kept walker yeah. art. Yeah, it, it is. That's a fun card too. the The kind of card that, yeah, again, you you want to have trade out or sell your single digit copies. I'm assuming you may have in your collection. Do not run out grabbing all sorts no. of them. All right, next up, Bedlam Reveler from Eldritch Moon. Non foils, a dollar to six dollars. Um, although I'm guessing the foil moved this price this week too, but I don't see it on here. Uh, this is from the Mardu Pyromancer deck. Uh, we saw that in Jerry T's hands most vividly, although there were a couple Pyromancer lists running around. I'm pretty sure they were all running it. Um, a cool card, a cool deck in modern. Uh, first time we've seen Pyromancer really on, on the big stage like that, I think. Uh, definitely that deck came out of left field. I would. I mean, really, I guess that what you call that a breakout deck of modern too. This is a really good pro tour for the format. Multiple decks yeah. that were just like had basically never seen real competitive play 
I'd never seen Pro Tour competitive play prior to this weekend. Marta Pyromancer uh, players on Magic Online were putting up like 5-0 lists for weeks leading into the Pro Tour. Um, and some streamers had played the deck. But, you know, Jerry uh, finished second. And by the way, if he'd won, that would have been quite the accomplishment because he just won last year, right? He run won Pro Tour Amonkhet or whatever, coming back off his sojourn at uh, Wizards. If he'd won two Pro Tours in the same, like, calendar cycle that would have put him into pretty refined company with i think like finkel and kai or something yeah i mean so jerry's a pretty cool guy i've been a fan of his for a long time um i think a lot of people have i don't know he there not many people have like back to back or like within the same calendar year not calendar year but within the same seasoned two pro tours that's really tough He's not quite as good as Finkel and Boudet, but that would still be quite an accomplishment. And yes, it was it was Amon. I, mean, I just checked it. I mean, even still, first and second in, in a year is still worth oh, yeah, applause. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the only other thing I can think of that's just about as cool is just before uh, LSV went on his sabbatical last year, he wa- he made top eight of three out of the four pro tours that year. Yeah, that was ridiculous. He uh that was a good run <laughs> on his part. Yeah. Quite, quite. Luck yeah. skill victory, right? And, and and the girl at the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true too. Um, all right. Next up, Witchbane Orb from Innistrad. Foils $3 to $22. I believe this is on the back of being a sideboard card in several strategies, right? Yeah, it's only ever been printed in Innistrad, um, so the foils are relatively scarce. I mean, that was, what, eight, eight nine years ago now? I can't believe Innistrad was that long ago. And, uh, yeah, there's just not that many of them around. But this is the, exactly the kind of card that if it pops up in a in a forthcoming set in the next couple of years, it, and it will, um, <laughs> it craters immediately. So you definitely sell into that hype. Let's see. Uh, it's in 17 Titan Shift sideboards, nine Lantern Control sideboards. Yes, that's definitely where it's pulling from. Yeah. Um, yeah, I uh, I would sell these if you had them because you're, it's going to be hard to get rid of these and they will get destroyed by a reprint. They're going to yep. stick it in, you know, Command Conspiracy 3 or something. So Caltrops from Urza's Destiny, the foils moving from $2 to 15 just another old foil being targeted from the first couple of years of foils. Um, Akron Legionnaire is another Legends card, moving from 250 to 27. I mean, there's no way market price is 27 on this card. I'm guessing it's pretty much close to where it start, where the last uh, purchase was made. Um, and this isn't a card people are buying to play in anything, so it's only valuable to people that are trying to collect the sets. And again, uh, you probably you may or may not have these sitting around in some bulk that you might want to pick that that you haven't bothered to pull out before. You might have one sitting in old binder somewhere or an old deck from when you were younger. Um, but otherwise, just ignore the card and move on. Chomano's Blessing uh, went from two, 25 cents to 350 on the back of Popper, but that's exactly the kind of move that never makes us any money. Sacred Cat Foils are, in theory, a $40 card. Let that sink in for a second. Uh, that's a 1 1 with what? Lifelink? And I then believe you can, so. And you can bring it back from the graveyard and it becomes a 1 1 with Lifelink again. So it basically gets one free regeneration. Um, that is not the card I thought the foil I thought would be at $40 from that set. <laughs> That's more expensive than some of the masterpieces in that set. <sighs> People are dumb. Yeah, there, there's no good reason for this. Like this card sees some occasional standard play and it's been played on streams. Um, somebody told me that 
Uh, Jim Davis had been running a Sacred Cat deck or something on his stream recently, but I, I cannot see any of that explaining why this common card from last year's set that is still in print is $40. Because it's a cat and people like cats because they're dumb. <laughs> the only good part of this card is the token is amusing because the token is the cat in like the exact same position. But it's just but in, up all wrapped budget. up in mummy gear. Yeah, it's cute. The... Um, if you can sell these for 40 folks hell if you can sell these for 25 or 30 just do it and and move on with your life that's if you if you've got four of these lying around for unknown reasons that you were sentimental about trade that into a dual land already yeah right uh all right needle drop non-foils from lore when we talked about foils uh, i think last week this week at c non-foils says a dollar to 17 dollars i will believe it when i see it needle drop is at one mana one damage draw a card type of thing um market price is still under a dollar so i doubt it but you'll probably get two or three dollars a piece for them but why would you have bothered with this anyways yeah Ditto with Inside Out, which is a Tireless Tribe popper combo card, and apparently the biggest mover of the week from $0.25 cents to $8. That's uh, 3,100% in gains, and if you believe that, then I've got some crypto to sell you. Well, you know, the Inside Out Needle Drop, we're like rolling our eyes at, right? But that stupid-ass Thorn of the Black Rose is still apparently an actually $8 foil. So... <laughs> I don't know, man. And and even tied Lorwyn block foils are hard to come by because that was another series of sets where magic was in a bit of a lull. And there was also four sets that year um, because they were experimenting with a four set block. So yeah, there, some of those foils are tough to get. Um, if it gets reprinted at creators, um, I'm not convinced popper is actually going to move things any more than frontier did. Um, I think that popper has a wider base overall, but I, I think currently we're in that speculation period that is not yet justified by real demand. So you want to keep your eye on how many of these cards are holding market price anywhere near their posted price. And if they're in sync, then you're in good shape. But otherwise, you may want to stay clear. Well, I am going to use this as a springboard into segment two, our uh, picks of the week cards to watch. Uh, and I'm going to talk about my first card for the week. I'm going to lean in to people playing popper uh and i'm gonna go with gleeful sabotage this week foil copies are about four dollars right now where you can find them gleeful sabotage by the way is the common from uh shadow Moor. it's a two mana sorcery destroying artifact or enchantment with conspire so you can tap two other green creatures um to gleeful sabotage a second time um it is the 20th most played card in uh, in Popper, the second most played green card, and it is more played than any black or white card. Uh, apparently, Popper is all blue. Um, but yeah, you can get foils at like four bucks. Look at how many Popper cards we've seen spike in price lately. You know, if Needle Drop and Inside Out can see 1,503,000% gains, and, you know, $4 Gleeful Sabotage could be 10 or $15, and people might actually pay for it. I mean, Shadow Moor is as... It doesn't get much more scarce than that. So, I, I don't know. I mean, this doesn't seem... I don't like Popper as a format, uh, but it doesn't seem like this is going to be $4 forever. 
The reality is that Star City Games needs to differentiate itself from Channel Fireball's Grand Prix system that they have monopoly control over. And so they're going to be experimenting with other formats. Um, they've already announced a no band list modern event that's going to go down at their big conference in the summer. Um, there's going to be multiple popper tournaments available um, at that and other events. And it does the format does seem to be gaining some momentum. So um, I don't even need to believe in the format as a whole. I just need to believe that there are greater fools that will speculate in behind you, given how few uh, how how few of the foils for this card are available. Yeah. All right, so back to my usual hunting grounds. Um, over in EDH, Seasons Past shows up in 6K EDH decks, fits in anything green, super low supply on the foils. Um, you can still get them in and around 5 bucks. I think it's going to be an easy post up at 15 within about 6 to 12 months um, because they're draining at a slow, steady pace. And these are exactly the kind of cards that are going to take a while to get reprinted in EDH. And until they follow my advice and print an EDH master set, there aren't any foils being printed for EDH. So Seasons Past would be in a pretty good place for a while. That's pretty solid. I like it. It is cool. It is good in EDH. does all sorts of good stuff in that format. Um, So I'll jump ahead to my other one. Um, I think the Hollow One foils um, at $8, and I was in on it at $4, and I have a pile sitting around waiting to sell. Um, But I think even at $8... Um, even after the double up, it's a pretty solid bet to get to 20, not in, not necessarily tomorrow or this week on the back of the Pro Tour. But I think if the deck continues to show up at additional events, and keep in mind that GP Toronto is a big modern event this weekend in my own backyard. Um, if Hollow One gets there um, in any form in a top eight in in the forthcoming weeks or months at another major event, that could be enough to be the tipping point to sell another 10 or 20 copies on TCG player, at which point the foils go to 20 bucks. Hollow one is a, is an interesting card. And we talked about this a little bit briefly before the show. Um, my, my perspective on this is that it reminds, so when we talk about this, the first thing I thought was it reminds me of some of the cards you've given me a little bit of a hard time about in the past and that you've got a card that's used strictly in a single combo deck and it's important in that deck, but it's used in a single combo deck in a single format. So, you know, in modern right now, no deck is in, across the, the, the national meta game. I'm not talking about the pro tour, but across like your local local store meta, it's not, you know, no deck is really going to be over 5% right now. Definitely not over 10%. Um, and combo decks tend to sit on the little lower end of that scale anyways. So it seems like your challenge here is that, well, it's excellent in that deck. It's the only place anyone is going to use hollow one. Yeah, and I and I think that's all fair and true, and and, and I'm guilty of this as well, by the way. I sure, and, and, I did, and, and you and I are in agreement that ideally you want to focus on cards that are multi-format, multi-archetype staples, um, which is why I was excited to buy foil Russian F and M fatal pushes much more than I am about going after additional hollow ones at eight dollars. I mean, somebody offered me ten of them at ten dollars, and I turned them down on Twitter. So I can't be that excited about the card, but that's. Really, for me, it's more about I've already got my stack, right? I've got, I'm as deep as I want to be on the card, but I think there might be an opportunity here because I don't think it actually takes that much demand. Um, one of the things, things, reasons we are often focusing on foils for modern EDH as of late is because um, in a lot of cases, there may only be 10 or 20 copies available on the internet once the initial run goes on. And in the case of the Hollow One deck, you really only need like 10, 20 players nationally 
or really in Canada, the US, maybe even, you know, abroad to decide they want these foils and they can push it to 20 because there just isn't any additional supply. No one's like popping cases of almond cat looking for hollow one foils. Um, and hmm. so, and, and you can't even go to our, some of our sources in Japan and go pick some up because they were on, on this tech ahead of everybody else. It was a Japanese tech deck. So you're not going to, you know, I, I checked over there over the weekend and they were long sold out. Um, so all of that just leads me to believe that I think that a, if you want to play them, definitely don't hold off because if you're looking to put together a foil version of the deck, it's still relatively cheap and you know, there's no reason to hold back in terms of price appreciation. I I think if I'm betting a month out, I don't feel very confident, but if I'm betting a year out, I I could see these hitting 20 just because where else are they going to come from? Okay. The other thing about hollow one is this card is currently limited to modern, but this card is playable in legacy and vintage. Like there, there's even more ways to discard cards um, randomly or non or non randomly in those formats and drop a bunch of hollow ones on turn one. Well, I completely agree with you there, and I think that the use cases on this card are a little wider. Um, I do like the card in general. It seems like it's got some cool applications. Um, so I, I, I don't, I don't hate it. I was just observing a um, a potential barrier there. Mm -hmm. uh all right let me fire off my other card for the week edh for me as well void winnower foils uh from uh eldritch moon currently you can snag these around five bucks uh void winnower from battle for zendikar battle for i'm sorry but battle for zendikar i forgot to update the set on our spreadsheet and i just took a guess uh (laughs) it was battle for zendikar foils in around five dollars um, it's an 8,000 X over an EDH track. So it's a pretty, uh, pretty good there. It's a really, it's a really cool card. It's extremely, it, it, you can't say extremely unique. You never need a qualifier on unique. You just have to say unique. Something can't be extremely unique because by definition, unique means there's only one. <laughs> Keep arguing with yourself. <laughs> I do that all the, every time I say like very unique, I get annoyed at myself. I'm like, no, you just have to say unique. Uh, Moving along. It is a unique card. You really can't find this effect anywhere else. It's unlikely to see anything like this very often. There's a slew of Eldrazi to pick from whenever they do decide to reprint this type of stuff. So I don't even know where Void Winnower is going to fall on their list of like, well, we can stick a huge giant colorless monster in here. Which one are we going to grab? Remember, you don't have just Battle for Zender and Eldritch Moon. You also have uh, Rise of Eldrazi to choose from as well if they want to reprint stuff. So got a cool card with low slow supply. It's a it's a big Eldrazi foils are like five or six bucks. I think you know this is probably destined for twenty dollars within within the year. I would say. Yeah, so I mean the whole thing with Void Winnower is that it dodges some of the restrictions that it were present on a lot of the other Eldrazi from that block, which is that it's not an, it doesn't have any on cast triggers. Um, it just needs to be in play. It also doesn't have any graveyard restrictions like the the first round of Eldrazi. It doesn't. Uh, uh, cycle itself out of your graveyard back into your deck when it ends up there. So if you dump this into the graveyard and then reanimate it, you've got an 11-9 that invalidates half your opponent's creatures and half their spells <laughs> because it shuts off all the even mana cost stuff. So on average, you're, you're going to get somewhere between a 40 and 60% hit rate for as long as you can keep that in play. And if you can keep it in play for a while, you're really messing with your what your opponents are getting up to um, and making enemies. So yeah, I mean, uh, I it, it didn't strike me as a card that was under was under um, a lot of pressure. I certainly didn't realize it was an eight thousand EDH decks. I think the art on it is some of the best in that block. Like that 
that art writ large, if it was like post like billboard size, would be pretty astonishing. Um, uh, one of the best looking pieces of art from the set. And yeah, I mean, if, if the supply is low and the EDH players are loving it, then by all means. Yeah, it is a cool card. And if you cast this card and then you, anyone at your table says something to the effect of, I can't even, uh, you have my permission to hit them. <laughs> so my last card of the week is Grim Flare Foils from Eldritch Moon. This was, uh, I've called this out before, closer to $10. Now it's closer to 20 um, I think you could pick it up now and still be relatively confident that it's going to get to 40 The amount of copies under $25 is extremely low. The number of copies posted on a very steep curve from 25 to 40 is the, the bulk of the copies. Um, and what that tells me is that um, despite its relative youth and the dearth of the, the plethora of copies that were available um, when it rotated at a standard, a lot of those have been swallowed up because people are still playing Jund and it has earned a more or less permanent spot in, in Jund builds, depending on where the meta is swinging in any particular season. Um, but we saw uh, Reed Duke take this uh, into the top eight uh, in his Jund build that wasn't you know much different than ones that we've seen in the past. Uh, it's a lot of the same old cards. You've got Liliana of the Veil. You've got, <clears throat> um, you know, you've got your Fatal Pushes. You've got all the usual stuff, Tarmogoyfs and, and the other cards that people have largely written off. Um, as being, you know, passe and modern. But the reality is that in the hands of a master like Duke, you can still bring these things to the forefront and do well. So uh, with Grimflayer often being a three or a four of in that deck um, and it being a mythic rare, not a rare, um, the foils um, getting to 40 before it has any chance of a reprint, I think is a pretty yeah, good chance. Yeah, I am with you on that. It's You're generally going to be playing a lot of them. It's uh, the it's a good card in the strategy. It's flexible. I, you know, everything you said, uh, you know, I, I own a couple from when we were talking about this a while ago, um, but I still, I still like the card. I still think it's a good idea. It's taking a little longer to, to get to where we would like it to be, but um, overall still a solid, a solid pick. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, it's, it has spiked before um, when it was both modern and standard playable. I remember unloading copies over 30, um, and then got stuck with a few that I'm still holding. Um, I should also note that in, in Duke's list, it was actually only of a two of, um, but you know, that two to four number d- definitely varies depending on the build. Um, and regardless, um, you know, there's, there just isn't very much inventory left and that's the situation that we're going to milk over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So let's move on to, I guess the metagame we can review slash topics, uh, the modern pro tour pro tour arrivals of Ixalan. We, we, I mean, we've definitely already talked about parts of this. We had the humans deck, uh, was, was probably one of the biggest narratives to come out of this event. We all, uh, the, uh, some of the other discussions that we've had were, um, or that we've been hearing is whether lantern control needs to be banned. Um, we also saw Mardu Pyromancer and hollow one do very well. You were saying you saw some black, white zombies deck that kind of snuck in under the radar that that was okay um so i I guess i'll start out with saying i don't think lantern control is getting banned uh well it's not an ideal play pattern that wizards is looking to encourage it's nowhere near popular enough or obnoxious enough for it to pose a threat to them to the meta so i wouldn't be worried about that getting axed you know if anything was going to go there it'd probably be mox opal but it's not mox opal wouldn't go because of lantern control it would go because of affinity plus other things because um, that's some pretty ridiculous fast mana. Um, 
I don't know what else. Uh, what else jumped out at you here at the Pro Tour? I mean, on the lantern control topic, if if lantern won GP Toronto and put or put six copies in the top eight or something, and then the next big modern event it was something similar, then we'd back, then it would be back on the radar for banning. Um, but I, everybody involved that's been you know had their thinking cap on seems to be uh, in sync with the fact that one great performance in the last foreseeable you know the the last swath of tournaments over the last six to 12 months is is not worth banning the deck the, the deck is beatable um it is not fun to play against or with um it's like what what can be like watching paint dry um but that's not enough to get rid of a deck um i i like that a strategy like this exists i like that there's a prison style deck that players that that are highly technical and that practice um can glean an advantage from um and if I run up against it at my local FNM and I don't have the right sideboard cards for them and affinity, then that's on me. Right. Um, now if it became, you know, hyper dominant, then yeah, that's a different story. Um, you mentioned that white black zombies deck that was in the hands of Julian Berteau, um, deck went seven and three, but I guess he didn't do very well in the drafts. So the deck never really made it on camera. Um, but this is an interesting deck, uh, very different. And I think that was actually the theme of the tournament that there, there was, um, a very diverse field that included many interesting archetypes that were not um, obvious contenders. So this thing was running four Dread Wanderer, four Gravecrawler, three Bloodgast, and four Tide Hollow Sculler. So it's got a little bit of that aggro control angle. Also running Liliana the Veil, a full suite of discard and fatal pushes and collective brutalities and whatever. And then four Lingering Souls and four Smuggler's Copter. I've been buying up foil smugglers copters ever since it was banned. So by all means, let this be a major thing in modern, please. <laughs> um, over on uh, some of the other popular decks, uh, like I said, humans was the most popular deck. So that's very interesting. Uh, excited to see how that uh, plays out over the next year. What, what variations that is subjected to uh, affinity was really popular, but I mean, we're all familiar with affinity at this point. There's not a lot of news there. Spire of industry has become a, a mainstay for of land. But other than that, I think there's not really anything to uh, affinity to talk about. Burn two was very popular. Um, but again, nothing in there that really jumps out at me. Tron floating around as well. Uh, relic cart cart. Karn Karn's going to be a hundred dollar card if they don't reprint it in M twenty five. Yeah, see, that's what scares me is I think Karn has got a big target on his head for M twenty five. But other than that, I would be I would be on board with that. Uh, Relic Progenitus, by the way, is like a five dollar card now. Just plain old normal <laughs> Relic Progenitus. Is, that's got to be in there. Oh, uh, you would think, especially as an uncommon, it's just easy to throw that in, right? It's like a measures bauble. Like, oh, mm-hmm. we can hit this for free. Um, Grixis yeah. Shadow was really popular. That was up there as well. Uh, Eldrazi Tron was good. Joe Sky Control, Gift Storm, Blue White Control. So, you know, most of this stuff is the more popular decks we definitely are familiar with. I think there's probably not too much meat on the bone for most of these. Maybe Just Guy Control, but even that's playing mostly a large spell suite that's been in modern forever. It's just that strategy is good again. I would say out of all of these, aside from humans, the most interesting might be Eldrazitron, just because the pieces are newer, so the prices haven't started to climb as hard yet. I mean, I think the the, the common theme here, and I was talking about this in the coverage I was I was posting for the Pro Tour over the weekend, was that to try to make money on modern now, as we've talked about in the past, 
you're, you're basically looking at two things right now. You're, you're looking at emerging tech and you're looking at draining supply on staples. So if your staple dodges reprint for long enough or the foils um, are popular enough or the deck is new, those are the cards that are going to make you money. But, you know, a, a regular old whatever, Lingering Souls or Stony Silence or something that is, you know, has been a staple forever, but that has seen multiple reprints and everybody's got their copies, that's going to be tough. Like I, I'm stuck holding a whole bunch of Stony Silence from before its last reprinting um, that that I, I'm going to have to just bite the bullet and, and buy list because by the time it appreciates significantly, it's going to get reprinted again. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and you don't want to be get, get stuck holding these rares that can be thrown in anywhere and will be because they're necessary. And it's not good. There's no benefit to wizards, you know, holding back on, on printing them per se. Um, and especially if they are, you know, linchpins that keep other strategies in check and so forth and, and can't really be left off the menu for too long. Um, over on the like Death Shadow side of things, which seemed to have been kind of sliding off the menu a bit, um, it was actually the Traverse Shadow, the Jund uh, Death Shadow builds that did the best going into day two. They had an eighty-four percent conversion rate, and it was on a that was eleven of thirteen decks. So um, I think that the pick I made a few episodes back, um, I, I would reiterate, there are still copies of Traverse the Ovenwald foils in and around the 8 to $12 range that are almost certainly excellent pickups at this point. Um, and I think they have an even better chance than something like a hollow one to get the 20. Uh, yeah, Traverse is an interesting card, especially because it works so well in Commander too. So you get both a top tier modern deck as well as a, a Commander card in that one. So that's... That's the... The best yeah. of all worlds, and because it has a very specific um, ability on it, Delirium, um, it's not just going to get thrown in any old place. Like the, uh, it, it's got to be you know positioned somewhere where that makes sense. Yeah, and the other thought I wanted to share while you got me thinking about it was I actually just you're talking about how hard it is to get rid of like these just non-foil uh, run-of-the-mill standard format cards. I actually listed uh, all of my thought seizes today from Theros that I had floating around. Um, you know, I have like a couple play sets. I've been sitting on them for a while. The price hasn't really done anything that I want it to do. And I'm like, I, I don't know. We could get this in 25. We could get it later this year. Like, I'm not sure where they're going to put it. Uh, but I've been surprised. I, I bit the bullet and just dropped it out in TCG low and just said I'm done with it. But I will say I've sold pretty much all of them in like 24 hours. It's like several sets. So I guess people still buy some of this stuff, but you're, you're going to get TCG low for it when you do. Well, and, and I think your move is solid, right? Because we got the original Lorwyn art back as a surprise reappearance in Iconic Masters. And even though the card stock's not that good, people may still prefer that version of the card. And it was also an invocation, right? There's masterpiece uh, versions floating around in the 80 to $90 range if people really want to get blingy about it. Um, although, so really, if it was going to be a good play, it would have been a good play six months ago. <laughs> well, but before Iconic Masters, for sure. But, I, I, you know, we were on top of that. We... It, it wasn't a surprise that they reprinted Thoughtseize there. It was a, a surprise that they reprinted it with that art. Um, True. Which, which really hurt the people that had been holding like old old versions. And I, I wasn't caught holding any of the foils, but I did have a Russian cop, original copy that I had sold for, I want to say, 100 bucks or something um, in the summertime that I was happy to be out, you know, have unloaded before that, that moment. Although Iconic Masters didn't get printed in Russian, so it's not like there was any rush there. True, true. Yeah, you were kind of safe on that one, I think. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, I mean, other decks, uh, as you as you pointed out, that were pretty interesting. Uh, Mardu Pyromancer in the hands of Jerry Thompson. This is a deck that people, you know, didn't really take seriously, and there seems to be some debate amongst the pros after the Pro Tour as to whether this deck is good enough to hang in there with the big boys. Um, but you said you were moving some Foil Young Pyromancers online. Yeah, I just sold the set. Uh, I think it was around the time Jerry made top eight, probably. Uh, so people definitely have noticed are interested in playing that deck. People have been trying to make Pyromancer, Young Pyromancer work in Modern since it was released. Um, and this is the first time he's really hit the really done this well, which is exciting for a lot of people, I think. This is a vindication like, oh, my Mardu Pyromancer deck that I homebrew that I've been playing forever is pretty close to Jerry's. And it turns out you can get second place at a Pro Tour with it. Um, never mind the fact that Jerry is a much better player than you are. Uh, at least you know that the strategy is viable. That I don't know whether that makes you feel better or worse. Uh, so, you know, it's out there. Um, I think that's interesting. The foil young power matches were a lot more interesting before he was reprinted in like EMA. Yeah. I mean, foil Bedlam Rev- revelers have done well for me. Um, that was a call for, of ours from, you know, way back um, when it was first uh, brewed up as like a blue red deck um, uh, for modern. It might even have been when, um, what was the pre-opt card? Oh, uh, Phyrexian uh, Probe? What? Jetaxian Probe. Jitaxian. Before Jetaxian Probe was banned, um, uh, I think that people were on, on Reveler early, and that's when I bought some foils, and they've been sitting around not really going anywhere, but now that this deck's back on the radar, they've been moving um, pretty pretty strongly. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to take up some huge percentage of the meta, but it's, you know, it's these opportunities to get out on cards that are obviously powerful um, when when their turn comes around uh, is certainly nice. And we've seen this before with other cards. I mean, there was a blue, the blue red deck um, in, I think it was Pascal Vieran um, was playing blue red Pyromancer, which was also a pretty rare deck at the tournament. This was four Snapcaster Mage, three Young Pyromancer and three Thing in the Ice, and then a whole bunch of blue red cards. Um and you know that's a deck that lots of people have tried but never really got there with and he went he was undefeated in the tournament he had a couple of draws so it wasn't as good as when lsv went went undefeated um but the you know that he still did very very well against a top field um facing a ton of different deck types um so you know the thing in the ice foils that people have been sitting on as specs for a while might get there as well oh that's nifty uh it is cool to see that kind of do well in the format, even if it may only be kind of temporary or, or not sustainable. Yeah. I mean, out of the five color humans build, which I think is, is a deck that a lot of people are going to pick up because I think it's the kind of thing that resonates with people as, as we've talked about before. Um, you know, all of uh, a, a large portion of these cards still have room to move up. Like either Violet Noble Hierarch are already expensive cards, but they could, they could recover. Um, Hierarch, Part of it depends on whether it shows up in M25 or not. Um, I, I expect Freebooter foils, Thalia's Lieutenant foils, Champion of the Parish, and Phantasmal Image foils, all having just jumped will will hold and could even go uh, higher before they see a reprinting. Um, uh, several of those cards are either new enough that they're not going to get reprinted this year or have just been reprinted. Um, I think Champion of the Parish would be the one most likely to see a reprint, right? Um, probably. Yeah. That seems best positioned for it. Although if they're going to reprint it, they have to reprint it someplace where there are, uh, other humans, right? Like you can't just stick that somewhere. 
Yeah. The, the other one that's that could easily be an M25 is Thalia Garden of Thradian, Thraben because that has not been reprinted. Uh, yeah, that's the other one. Well, Th- Guardian was the, what was it? The WMCQ promo. Yeah, but those are super expensive. I think they're going for like a hundred bucks a piece now. Are they really? Don't, yeah. don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. Oh, it's going to feel so bad. There's so... Yep. Uh, 60. yep. Wait, no, the market yep. price is 60, so they weren't that expensive. <laughs> Low, lowest posted price is 97.77, so people made some good money on those. Yeah, I don't think that was... I bet that was 10 bucks when it came out. I mean, it was a while ago, I guess. I was sure I had a pile of them, but I can't find it anywhere. It was by far the cool, like one of the coolest promos they've done. It's great. Fantastic art. Um, so Death Shadow foils are probably... And Death Shadow in general is probably too cheap, given that it's safe from reprint for a while. And the deck in two different incarnations is still doing just fine. Um, so even if you believe that Grixis is going to be shifted into Traverse, they're still running four Death Shadows. And it was it was printed in uh, was it Iconic Masters? I believe Which so. Card? Death Shadow. No, Modern Masters twenty seventeen. So that's a year old, but almost certainly not in M twenty five. And since we don't know about any other Masters style set later this year, Death Shadow could be safe for quite some time. Yes, I wouldn't expect, especially since it just got reprinted. Yeah, you're good there. But I mean, are you really eager to be buying in on? Uh, whatchamacallit. Uh, no, they're, the, they're not that expensive. Right. They, like, I, they've, I, been, they've been lagging because there was a period of time where people thought Death Shadow was yeah. going to get banned because it was so good, yeah. right? Like last year. But you can get copies of Death Shadow foils in around 15, 16 bucks. That's got to be too cheap. Like, I think those are going to get to 30 before this thing gets reprinted. Yeah. And I don't think it's got any chance of being banned. They, yeah, I mean, I could see like maybe 20, maybe 25 on the Modern Masters copies. I don't know. 30 seems a little high for that, especially because the Modern Masters copies aren't going to be as nice as the World Wake ones. World Wake ones could be 30 or $40, but I bet those aren't, I bet those aren't $16 either. Yeah, I mean, World Wake foils are markets 25, yeah. lowest posted price 24, and then everything else is 30 plus. Yeah, those uh, the World Wake foils are just such a nicer looking card than the Modern Masters ones. Yeah, you want to tell the difference in card quality, put a World Wake foil next to a Modern Masters foil and then stop buying magic cards. all right so all in all uh pro tour that i really enjoyed um i also thought that our winner and luis savato um seemed like a great guy um i loved for that for once instead of getting a one-word answer out of the champion we got a guy that wouldn't shut up that's (laughs) fantastic um you gotta love the south americans you also gotta love that these guys have won multiple like a high percentage of the pro tours in the last couple years um, people are not really giving the South American squad their due, as far as I can tell. Um, they are ranking uh, very well in the, in the overall team's performance um, over the last little while, and uh, it's great to see them do, um, you know, put a guy on the top of the podium again, especially against such a strong field. Yep, uh, and Salvado, uh, we can even feel good about because he was playing that one game, and oh yeah. yeah yeah what did he have his sideboard card in the main deck or something like that in yeah. game one and he just He's instantly like, called the judge on himself uh so no it didn't look like he was angle shooting at all there um so it was nice to see somebody do well with uh with at least what appears to be some real integrity yeah he did he made an honest mistake and 
you know, probably had a very scared moment <laughs> where his tournament flashed before his eyes and coming out the other side of that as the champion has got to be a really nice reversal of fortune. Yeah. Um, let's see. Real quick, Masters, uh, the ban list, uh, they're not going to ban anything. They might unban something, but even then, I don't yeah, I don't know if they if they need to. They might feel like they can just leave their hands off for now and let the format go for another six months and reconsider it later. I, I think that upsetting the apple cart with any change here seems wrong. Yeah. It's as good as it you could. Like, what are you trying to fix and where are you trying to get to is the question. If you give people back Bloodbraid Elf or you give them Jace the Mind Sculptor or you give them anything, really, that's on the ban list, what are you trying to fix? I mean, it's already as diverse as it's going to get. You don't need additional diversity. You're certainly not going to intentionally try to narrow the format. So, you know, the the complaint that the pros make that they can't metagame effectively and can't uh, skill, like, rely on their skill as much because they can't possibly prepare as much um, for what they might be facing is not something they can easily fix unless they take some of the um, advice about sideboard size. Like there, there is an argument to be made that the sideboards for modern should be 20 or 25 cards and that that actually makes for much more interesting intra-game decisions uh, or intra-match decisions. Um, but I don't think they're going to do that either. No, that's so, a really big change. Yeah, I think they're just going to leave well enough alone. Same. Uh, Masters 25, we know we know Jace, we know Azusa, we know Phyrexian Obliterator. We also know all the cards getting reprinted have their the set that they were originally printed in with the watermark behind the text box on foils. So, for instance, Phyrexian Obliterator has a foil new Phyrexia symbol behind his text box. Everyone's instant question was, well, what the hell does that mean for Alpha, Beta, Unlimited? Really, probably just Alpha, I guess would be the one they have to come up with because like technically those cards were all the same. Um, But we'll be curious to see what ends up happening there. Uh, And we also know there's going to be a metal guy. Uh, Initial reaction, people thought it might be Ravager, but why would they recommission new art for Ravager? They already have the Modern Masters art, so it's possible it could be like uh, Blightseal Colossus would be a good choice there. Or Platinum Imperion, or it could be Steel Overseer. Although, now that I think about it, Blightseal Colossus... And wouldn't really work because we already have a new Phyrexia card. So it seems like Dark Steel, or not Dark Steel. Yeah, but it's uh, not. To, they didn't say it's only one from each set. No, they just said no. it's at least one. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, which one call it the one that taps and puts counters on Steel Overseer is probably the best bet. Well, the thing is running aggressively, which doesn't really seem like an Overseer type thing, which is more of a like puppet master kind of motif. So. Um, I think that Imperion or Blightsteel sounds about right. The um, the other thing is that it's kind of got like sharp, jaggedy metal pieces, which syncs up with one of those two cards. The, um, the real question I think that most collectors and speculators should be considering is these foils, assuming great card stock, would be in very high demand because these like they're going to have a really nice background foil um, icon behind the text box. But if the cardstock is bad and we have every reason to believe that the English versions will be. Um, then the question becomes, um, are people willing to trade off the cool foiling for the really bad warping problem that we've seen repeatedly in products over the last 18 months or so? Um, and will that product be absent in the Japanese versions of this set? Because this set's getting printed as per most of the master sets in simplified Chinese, Japanese, and English. If the Japanese sets are good and they've got like alpha, if there's like a beta lightning bolt 
<laughs> or an alpha lightning bolt symbol foil that's in Japanese. Picture how much that card's going to be Pretty worth. nifty. Um, which is an interesting thing to consider. Also, uh, our last really quick topic, we got a new dual deck. It's Elves versus Inventors. Uh, we definitely needed another Elves dual deck. Um, but the interesting thing here is they spoiled the front two cards. It's Azuri Renegade Leader and Goblin Welder. And they showed Goblin Welder. And they showed the art for Azuri. But we did not see the card for Azuri, which leads people to speculate what we could be seeing on that card. Why won't they show us? So the less exciting answer is that it has new wording for some rules text that people are thinking about. Um, but I don't think that they would hold back the image reveal if it was something that simple. No. So smart no. money here is on a new border for legendary, either a brand new border for magic cards. But that also seems unlikely because it, why wouldn't it be on Goblin Welder? So it's probably yep. a special border for legendary creatures, which is a pretty yep. interesting topic. That, that's where my money is on uh, is a new border for legendary creatures that will be echoed in Dominaria. Yeah. And that would be cool. Uh, you know, then then that really opens the doors because now you have to buy your or- original border and your legendary border so that if the creature's your commander, you use the special border one. And if he's just in the 99, you use the old border. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. interesting. For the yeah. I can see that being a thing. <laughs> uh, so we don't really know where that's going to go. That's just the best guess. I don't really see that changing anything financially because you're going to be what it is, what it is, right? Like it's hard to make that actionable, but an interesting thing to be aware of. Yeah. Back to M25 for a second. The pre-order pricing, because obviously this is going to be of interest to people since Iconic Masters is available for like 140 a box right now, which is like $100 below MSRP, um, is already selling at $200 a box on sites like Star City Games, which are not exactly famous for offering the best deals. So if it's already 40 bucks below MSRP, you have to, and and we have confirmation that this set, like the one before it, is going to show up in big boxes and so forth, i.e. it is not LGS only, which seems to be, I guess, a thing of the past, or at least for now. Um, we, we have to wonder how cheap we're going to be able to get these M25 boxes, um, at least for the English editions. And then on the flip side of things, how much are we going to spend on Japanese boxes that we try to ship from overseas? Yeah. Oh, that brings up a good point. I had forgotten uh, the second wave of Unstable Uh, is apparently non-existent or very small, which means that what was anticipated to be a a healthy restock of most importantly, the basics uh, is not coming. Now, interest in the set has dropped off the map. Essentially, nobody wants it anymore. The, The gimmick has worn off. However, the basics are still quite popular. And I think the the just non-foil English basic island is like seven bucks, right? Or something, it might $11 and it's several dollars. Um, and I think an anticipation of more supply was sort of baked into that price a little bit. And now that's not there. So if you are looking for unstable basics, you got to pull that trigger real soon because I, you know, they're not going to be $30 basics, but they're not going to be $4 either. It's tough to say. I, I haven't decided what I'm going to do yet. I've got to take a look at some inventory levels and, and how broadly they're available and, and then make a move or not. Um, my concern is that there are so many um, basic land options in Magic at this point. Like we're getting three or four or five interesting full art foil or just, you know, foil good art or a particular like we had the Therese Nielsen um, things that were in the buy a box promos for Ixalan that are very, very nice. Um 
uh, no, sorry, not Therese Nielsen. They were Rebecca Gway, right? Yeah, Therese Nielsen was those those Judge Promo lands that were ugly as shit. No, no, I'm thinking of the Rebecca Gway ones, which are like watercolor and they're they're absolutely gorgeous. Wait, are those um, the Judge ones or the Rivals of Ixalan? The Rivals ones. Okay, those are the ones that were in the, the ones that were, yeah <laughs> the ones that were in the buy box. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of options, and 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 there's still the unglued and the unhinged versions, and I think the unhinged are are going perennially going to be more popular overall. Yeah, people seem to be kind of divided on these. So I think this is very much a supply play. Like if you see supply draining out of the market, then by all means jump in and maybe you've got at least a buy list play there um, given enough time because we're not going to see it get reprinted again. Like I think that we, we know that this is this is the last hurrah. It makes the most sense for Mero to garner support for a fourth set down the road by, you know, uh, under promising and over delivering, selling the set out at some you know, modest level of inventory and then moving right along. Well, you know, I was bearish on these uh, initially because of the same, I had the same thought. There's so many basic land options. How much demand can you really get for these? But I feel like I've been proven wrong on that one. Uh, They're already more expensive than I figured they would be, especially with supply being a little less than I thought it would be. Uh, And, you know, wizards really stuck to their guns on those first two unstable basics. We have never seen those again, and we've never had any inclination we will see them again. So I wouldn't be surprised if they are if they hold firm on this and you never see these basics again. Uh, and they are currently the only frameless basics we have. So, I mean, they might return to that in the future, but it would almost definitely still look a little bit different. So, you know, I'm, I'm willing to reverse my position on this one. I did not like them before. I like them more now. What do you think about the foils of the island, for instance, at, say, $75? Oh, that is, that's a tough pill to swallow. Um, I don't know. I mean, you could tell me in six months that those guards are $200, and I wouldn't be that surprised. But you could tell me that they were $65. Uh, I, I really don't have a good feel for that at the moment. So it's hard to say. It's tricky too, right? Because even the island has uh, 121 listings on TCG Player, you know, ranging from like a single copy to Magic Stronghold having 70 copies posted. The um, And the question becomes... You know, how different is this from investing in something that where the max number of inclusions is a playset? Like if somebody wants, you know, 18 copies of this for modern or wants to spread it around a couple of different decks or use them in multiple EDH decks, maybe they want 10, 20, 30, 40 copies, which certainly drains the market a lot faster. Like I don't think very many people are buying two copies of this island. Well, you know, I could see somebody grabbing like three foil islands because if they only play modern or legacy, you rarely play more than those. Um, on the foils, I see full. P- I only the craziest among us will attempt to build a draft, a basic draft set out of foil on stable lands. However, <laughs> plenty of people will put together non foils of twenty four piece, twenty a piece. Yeah, if I had to put my money on these, I would bet against the mountain. Uh, I feel best about the island, the forest, and the plains. I think those are the best art. Yeah, they um, all look good too. The, the swamp is solid. The mountains solid, but I don't think people are going to be like excited about them. But the there's a nice like background glow in the island and the forest, especially that I think will be appealing to people. Yeah, I mean, I don't have them up in front of me, but you could probably just look at the unhinged lands to get a very good feel for 
what the outlook on the the pricing scheme is going to be because I would expect them to follow that order as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess that's a wrap for this week. Uh, yeah. Where can our listeners find you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. Feel free to reach out to me anytime if you got any questions or concerns, if you're a pro trader member um, or thinking about becoming one. Uh, and I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday at MTGPrice.com, the Watchtower series. I also do the webcast, Cartel Aristocrats on most Mondays. And uh, feel free to not reach out to me on Twitter <laughs> if you have questions. Such, such a curmudgeon today. <laughs> I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $40.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Just right. don't ask Travis for help. Yeah, yeah, right. All right. That brings us to the end of episode 105, <laughs> which, by the way, is the start of our third year. We had to begin our third spreadsheet. So here's two two years worth of episodes down. And God help us two years more. Nice work, brother. <laughs> you too. See you next right. week, James. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.